Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. While most industrial business leaders carefully follow the usual workplace safety considerations like adhering to OSHA guidelines, installing safety barriers, and training their staff on proper procedures, many of them unintentionally overlook some of the biggest workplace risks not communicating with or listening to their employees. Industry employees who don't feel valued on their teams or feel they lack the ability to make a change within their workspace are actually 70% more likely to claim a musculoskeletal injury. Ergonomics, which is also known as designing for human factors, is the study of people's efficiency within their work environment. While you may think of ergonomics as a means to increase physical workplace comfort and productivity, it actually includes cultural considerations as a way to improve employee efficiency in the workplace. I'm joined today by Sam Bradbury and Mark Heibrecht, who are the co-founders of Ergonomics International, each with more than 20 years of industry experience as ergonomists. Sam is a board-certified exercise physiologist, board-certified human factors professional, and a certified athletic trainer. Mark is a board-certified exercise physiologist and a board-certified ergonomist. Together, they design software, workspace plans, and training programs to help business leaders reduce the musculoskeletal risk for employees in industrial workplaces. In today's episode, we'll discuss how business leaders can more effectively engage with their teams to improve the critical, physical, and cultural considerations of industrial safety. Sam and Mark will also walk us through their best practices for updating industrial workplaces to accommodate newly implemented COVID-19-related safety guidelines. Mark and Sam, really excited to have you on our podcast. Mark, why don't you help us understand and certainly help our listeners understand the difference between ergonomics and the term that you and Sam use of human factors professionals. I think that'll help set the table for the conversation we're about to have. You bet, Tony. Uh, good question. In fact, the, the term ergonomics is really thrown around quite a bit out there in the media and TV commercials. You hear about ergonomic toothbrushes and you know, ergonomic chairs that are that are very true. Um, the, the word human factors and ergonomics are synonymous, uh, but there is a board certification in ergonomics for people that that are board certified. It meets the IEA, which is International Association of Ergonomic Standards, which is a worldwide recognition for board certification in ergonomics. And so um, in the United States, that's the BCPE, Board of Certified Professional Ergonomist. And the one thing that a lot of people don't recognize with ergonomics, most people think of the physical side of ergonomics, which is the, you know, can it cause carpal tunnel? Can it cause a rotator cuff injury, low back pain? That's actually a very small piece of ergonomics and that the larger piece of ergonomics is the cognitive piece. In fact, a very large percentage, in fact, one reference cites about 89% of all board certified ergonomists have a PhD in psychology, where we look at how people process information and make decisions. And so um, I spend a fair amount of time doing forensic analysis. And so, you know, I've, I've testified in court regarding things very current in the news today, such as police shootings. Was it appropriate for the officer to fire his weapon? That decision-making process or the errors that occur in manufacturing where people are caught in equipment with um, labels and warnings and guardings. That's, that's the larger part of ergonomics and the, you know, the interface of technology. Fascinating stuff. And, and, to your point, boy, a, a 
let me call it a science whose time has come uh, by every stretch of the imagination, given everything that's going on in the world that we live in today. Hey, Sam, picking it up, you know, before we got started, I was talking a little bit about, um, you know, we, we serve a, a tremendous number of suppliers who are running factories and, and, and running manufacturing operations. And oftentimes you'll hear this terminology of man plus machine. And that extends all the way through too to some of our, um, our audience who are involved in, you know, large scale pick, pack and ship and warehousing applications. Talk a little bit about in the practice that you all are involved in, what are you seeing in those areas? And is that a term that, that's appropriate for us to use that man plus machine? Well, I think just about every job, Tony, has a, a man plus machine. I mean, the machine may be as simple as a pencil, but there is an interaction with a machine in most jobs. And in distribution warehouses and things like that, you're working with fork trucks and lifts. And in you know manufacturing and packaging plants, you're, you're around conveyors. And now you're going to be around cobots and robots. And the interesting thing to see within industry now is this drastic change from when we were afraid of robots and they all had to be caged to prevent people from being killed by them to these cobots, which are now very user-friendly and you work in conjunction with them. So we're starting to see a really interesting culture happen within industry where we can actually now use those cobot technologies to help improve the productivity, efficiency, and improve as far as the comfort for the worker who actually still has to be involved in the decision making, which is really the human factors piece of jobs. If, the, if it has to require something about quality, if it has to require a decision, then that's when the human needs to be involved. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I think, you know, the, the metaphor of, you know, oftentimes when I'll describe this to people that are outside of the industry and they get a little alarmed about automation and what does it mean and is it dangerous and is it taking jobs and other things, the examples that I will give them are out of things like finance, where we used to have general ledgers and then that was automated and it allowed people to do even more. And I, th I think this is an area that the general populace is probably still a little um, unaware of, but, you know, in um, the, the dynamics of what's going on in the modern uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, age that's happening here in North America, these are becoming much more commonplace. And, and I kind of, I love your description of uh, uh, the shift from robot to cobot and allowing it to be a more friendly uh, transition. So let me back up just a little bit. How did you all get to the point you are today? You know, you're credentialed, you've been certified in so many related areas. And Mark, why don't we start with you here? How did you get into this and what initially attracted you to this practice, if you will? Sure, sure. Um, I actually graduated uh, thinking I was going to go into medicine or rehabilitation, one of the two. Graduated pre-med, pre-physical therapy, and I did some internships and found that I would rather prevent the injury from happening than try to fix it once it did. And that's really how I got into the field. One of my internships was with a uh, occupational health clinic. And so I would go out to job sites and help them uh, before I was board certified in, in ergonomics, help, you know, come up with solutions. And then that piqued my interest. And so rather than going on to medical school or physical therapy school, I decided to get my master's degree in biomechanics and physiology, where I did my research and was able to apply that information to the prevention of injuries rather than the, the rehabilitation. And Sam, did you have a similar path? And then I'd love to hear how the two of you connected and formed Ergonomics International. I actually went to 
and did my bachelor's in education as well as sports medicine and became a certified athletic trainer, which basically we're, we're out on the fields on the weekends and during the weeks taking care of injured athletes and getting them back into you know their sport. And I carried this further through to a clinic setting, industrial setting, growing my, my skill set and my practice background into what's previously known as a work hardening center, which is really a designated location for individuals who have been out of work for a period of time to train to get back into the work environment. The problem is, is a lot of times it's hard to get people back to work because the employers are afraid to bring them back, et cetera. And one of the things I wanted to do is get into the prevention piece, really not putting people back together, but actually stopping people from getting injured. And that's really how I became involved in the ergonomics field. And part of that was related to meeting Mark and moving to a location where they were, you know, one of the leaders in ergonomics at that point in time. This is this is quite a, quite a few years back. But Mark and I met and we decided to start a company that would help to get people to understand what ergonomics was. And part of that was related to testing. We were involved with an organization that it worked with the Board of Certification to help get healthcare professionals trained and potentially certified in ergonomics. Well, when Mark and I first took that test, we decided, whoa, there needs to be a lot more background in healthcare about what ergonomics really is. So it was an eye-opening experience for us. And that's sort of how our, our careers came together. And we've actually been business partners for over 20 years now. I think it's a fascinating area as we've touched on. Can you, and, and maybe I'll, I'll pass it to Sam or either one of you want to pick it up. Can you give us a, a few case studies or, or some examples of kind of work that you're doing with some of these companies and, and the impact it's had? Well, one of the things that, I, that I'm doing actually right now using the software and with COVID, it's changed how we go into companies. I mean, we were actually locked out of our companies for quite some time and so companies have come to us and said, hey, can you do remote evaluations, uh, virtual evaluations? So now I'm actually working in conjunction with individuals doing our assessment process, but virtually, which is a really interesting challenge in this time frame because I'm used to being out there with the operators asking the questions. Well, I'm still there, but it's via virtual environment. And I think that, you know, as people get more in tune with Zoom and some of the technologies that, that we're using right now, this is going to become probably a norm. What that does is it saves you know companies money going out to the workplaces. The opposite end of that is I had a conversation with a client this morning and they said, you know, I really miss having you here because we can run a lot of our problems past you when you're here and you can see them immediately. So there are some challenges there, but all of those go back into our, our software and look at what the risk factors are associated with those jobs that we're uh, integrating into the workplace and talking to these uh, operators about. And now we can say, hey, these are evidence-based stats. And that helps us to become more confident. It also allows us to put some dollar amounts around it for the employer as well. Talk a little bit more about the topic of, of the day, obviously, is you know we're all still dealing with this global pandemic. Here in New York State and certainly in New York City, there's a, the phase one moving into phase two reopening. This is starting to happen at various paces across the, the, uh, the country. This is a new 
a new world for many of us. And, you know, I think this idea of physical and, and social, you know, distancing and spacing and, you know, erecting barriers inside uh, companies around certain job functions and things like that. Talk a little bit, any thoughts you might have? What, what are you seeing here and what do you think some of the trends are that are going to, if not already, you know, going to over time emerge? I think I'll turn this one over to Mark because he had an interesting conversation with a client yesterday specific to the, the physical barriers piece. Mark, you want to answer this one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had a client um, call me up yesterday, and it's a having to be a meat processing client. And um, they called me up and said, you know, we're, we're trying to put up these barriers because we don't have social distancing in place because our plant wasn't designed for for this. And so we have to put up these barriers, which I think is a, a, a dilemma that many manufacturers are, are running into currently. And they said, you know, how much space do I have to allow for the individual inside? Because, you know, obviously we need to get as many people in here to produce product as we can. And and so there's some basic calculations. And so, you know, my original thought was, well, yeah, it'll start with and what we call anthropometrics in the field, which is basically just body size and shape. Well, we can start with shoulder breadth, which is basically distance between the, the two arms. And that's the width of you. I said, however... With this particular job where they have a, a straight knife and they're boning a ham, their elbow has to bend out. And so, you know, one of the simple calculations just to give someone a real number is, well, you design it for a 95th percentile male, which is a large man. And one of the misconceptions with design is people think you design for the average. And uh, if you design for the average, for you engineers out there listening, if you design for the average, you're going to design out half of your population. Okay, and so there's some general guidelines that you look at with with the des from a design perspective. So we chose the 95th percentile male, and then we just figured, okay, well, what is that length of the upper arm for a 95th percentile male? And we made it a triangle with that arm out, and that tells us basically how much distance we need side to side in order to allow that person to move and manipulate things inside that work area without bumping their arms on those guards. So one of those things that many people think, well, let's just, you know, guess at it or throw a number at it. Well, the problem is you have maintenance go out and install all these guards. And now you have, you know, a bunch of workstations that don't fit the people that are working them. And then maintenance has to go back and, and redo things, which takes time and money. Great example. As you engage with your current customers around this, you know, let's call it return to work, what kind of cultural things are you experiencing? And, and you know, Sam, if you want to pick it up, are you seeing companies that are fearful about return to work? Are they anxious about it? You know, obviously things like you just described at the meat processing plant, that's something I'm sure those folks had never had to think of before the idea of erecting barriers and how that might work and operate. But are there some cultural things, Sam, that you're, you're seeing with some of your clients? Well, yeah, I think one of the reasons, you know, we, we've developed this, this software and it was really an adjunct to our encounter software, which is a, a safety encounter kind of slips, trips and falls kind of monitoring system. And Mark and I started discussing that, you know, our, our companies that we're dealing with are going to have difficulties bringing people back into the workplace, number one, looking at body temperatures to physical barriers, PPE, all of these things. And the other thing is, is this trust issue around, is my employer taking care of me and how are my coworkers taking care of me? So we took a human factors approach in developing this, what we call COVID-19 EMS, the employer management system, which allows 
first step is the accountability of the worker to show his employer that they're doing their part at home by taking their temperatures at home and it records it and tracks it. The second piece to that is really QR code driven workplace safety criteria. So the employee or the supervisor can say, do I have the PPE? Do I have the barriers in place? Do I have the cleaning supplies I need? And are those available to me? And if not, it automatically signals the EHS person or the supervisor that they need something. And then the third piece to that is, are we working in a clean environment? Because that's a big piece. There's a lot of touch points and a lot of people touching these surfaces in a, in a manufacturing or a business environment, door handles, light switches, sink faucets. I mean, a lot of different things. And so we added a touch point capability to this, which is QR code driven and tracks when people are actually cleaning and taking care of the maintenance piece of this to ensure that the employees and the uh, employers are working together to keep a clean and safe environment. And the goal was to drive the cultural change, to make it safe and make everybody feel confident and comfortable as they start to return to work. That's really nicely laid out. One of the things that people are talking about, and we certainly hear it from our audience, is the feeling that as we as we return to work, some of the, you know, I'll use the expression that was introduced before, the barriers, some of the tools that we have to now use. And this relates to maybe the ongoing adoption of advanced technology, particularly in factories, can tend to isolate people and make it a, a less human environment. Do you agree with that assessment? If not, you know, have you seen it do the opposite? No, absolutely, I agree with that. Um, I think, you know, as there are positions that are becoming more isolated. I, I have a, I spoke with a client yesterday actually that runs a, um, a conveyor system at a, at a packaging facility. And, you know, they sit in a control room and interface with, with computers and robots all day and basically clear jams um, is the interaction that they have. And so I think that's absolutely true. I think the other thing is, from a cultural perspective, and Sam alluded to this early on when he said we, you know, to develop this COVID-19 EMS software, we took an existing program and modified it. Well, the existing program was a, a one of the programs was a, what we call encounters. And what we have found looking at all this epidemiology research, there was one question that was asked over and over again, that if people answered, well, there's two questions. If they answered these two questions with a no answer, then there was a 70% increased likelihood of them claiming a musculoskeletal injury. And that was, do you feel valued at your workplace? And do you feel you have the ability to make change to your workplace? And so when Sam and I read that over and over again in these epidemiology research studies, we said, well, we need to start measuring that. And so we developed this QR code driven process that can be run from any smartphone or tablet that literally just open the camera, scan the QR code, and it logs these encounters that you have with employees. And so you can log a positive encounter. Hey, Joe, that was a great job. You know, last week I talked to you about driving too fast on the forklift. I watched you today. You're doing a great job. Or, hey, Janet, you know, you're a new employee. How are things going? And when you start that conversation, when you pull up that encounter, it starts a, basically a stopwatch. And then you just basically log, was this a positive encounter? Was this a new hire encounter? Was this a corrective action encounter? 
But what it does, it logs all these encounters that you that you're having with people for various reasons. But now you can actually see which supervisors, which managers are engaging with with the workforce and which ones are there to help out those new hires. And you can then coach the ones that maybe are not. Um, But that's that's really that cultural piece that that is essential in not only reducing the physical work factors, the risk factors that might cause injury, but also addressing those cultural risk factors that that increase the likelihood of a person claiming an injury. I love that. And that's an area that that we spend a lot of time looking at. And and I don't want to call it the the automation of coaching, but I think what's happening is our ability to use data to allow for safe and self-enablement of employees to allow them to, to do a better job in their individual jobs and feel that they have more control over the outcome. But at the same point in time, provide solid coaching to help them where they most need it. So great example. I'm going to round out the conversation here with two questions that we ask all of our podcast guests. And given that there's two of you, I'm going to ask each of you to answer one of the two questions here. So Mark, if you want to start up on the first one, what's the best advice you would give to someone who's looking for a lifelong career in industry? What advice would you give them about the business that we've been talking about of industrial markets and manufacturing? Good question. That's a loaded question. Um, You know, I I think for one, stay current with technology. Technology, if I think back to, you know, 25 years ago when I started going to factories for the first time. It's, it's a different world out there. We do things differently now. And with, uh, with cobots and technology, and you know, that's, that's only going to change faster. And so I would say definitely stay current with your technology, stay current on applications and new applications and, and um, how to get things done, done efficiently. And then I would I'd piggy that back up with, you know, really using the data that's gathered. There's a lot of data out there. And I, I would caution this by there's a lot of bad data out there as well. But if you can find a good data source that gives you good, reliable information to make your decisions, that's really what you want to go with is, is a data-driven process that allows you to make good decisions um, that supports the, the outcomes you're trying to achieve. Great advice. Hey, Sam, round it out. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? Well, in today's world, basically, it would say embrace change, be flexible, and be willing to learn new skills, because basically that's how people are going to maintain jobs. They're going to be able to transfer jobs. They're going to be able to stay employed. They're going to be able to go to work for a lot of different employers throughout their career. To learn more about Sam and Mark, their work at Ergonomics International, and how to improve workplace safety at your industrial business, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves.
Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.